Amen. You may be seated. And I'm going to ask the team to come up, if you guys would. Y'all come up. Uh, this is our team that went up to New York City, and uh, they're going to share just a little bit about what they uh, did up there, and then after that, we'll, we'll uh, do the interview with Jonathan, all right? Thank you, guys. Get out of here, Pastor. Get out of here. We're coming back from New York. Had a great time. Yeah, y'all are looking like these guys look. I was trying to be a cultural chameleon and blend in. They said we're going to Jamaica, and I was like, Jamaica, man, huh? I part of New York, but anyway, no. Hey, thank you, church, for praying for us. Thank you for commissioning and sending us up there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where we ministered at is to a Muslim community that's east of New York in the Jamaica Heights, uh, Jackson Heights area, and we spent four days doing that. Uh, in the morning, we spent time training and learning some of the Islamic faith and some approaches uh, to present the gospel, and in the afternoon evening, it was sharing the gospel, both on the subway out there to those that were not Muslim, but primarily to those uh, out there in that area that were in a Muslim community. And just for a few minutes, I'm going to ask each one of these 10 members to kind of share um, what they kind of witnessed there, also what had God had done through them or uh, how they, God used them. So, Kathy, I'm going to ask you if you would to go first. Thank you. Um, first of all, I really wanted just to thank um, each and every one of you because I know we had your support and um, in finances, which made it much more um, ease of mind for us, and especially in your prayer support. Um, the verse that I wanted to share was um, in Ephesians 6, um, verse 12, and it says, um, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we really um, felt that, and that's why the prayer support was so necessary, because from neighborhood to neighborhood that we went, we did um, where we knocked on doors and sometimes just didn't get any response, didn't get a good response at times. But then there were times that we just knew that God was at work, and when we would speak to people on the streets and their hearts were open and receptive to hear what we had to share and where we're able to share the gospel and um, not necessarily had very many people that really accepted it, but they heard it and they listened and were open to receive it. And there were days when we shared that we just felt like th there was just a, a door that was just closed there and just the oppression. So that was so important that we had the prayer support. Personally, you know, as I reflected back on the week, I realized that um, my greatest struggle was just being a bold person, being a bold witness. And I had especially asked prayer that I would be able to speak with boldness because my nature is... I'm timid. It's not natural for me to be in front of people with a microphone or that sort of thing. It's just not an easy thing for me. But I prayed for boldness. But as we went through the week, what really struck my heart was a burden that um, the times that I've looked back in my life and recognized that it was easier to share was when I was burdened for the person I was sharing with. And so really it's praying for that burden, that we're burdened for those people that are lost, that we're burdened for the Muslims, that we're burdened for our neighbors and our coworkers. So that was what I came home with. Thank you. Um, one of the verses we looked a lot at this week was Matthew 28:19, which is part of the Great Commission, where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And um, the first word in that verse is go. And what we... And one of our sessions, we learned that it says go, it does not say come. So you have to go to the people. They're not, they're not going to just come to our church. We have to go to them where they're comfortable and proclaim God's name. Um, I'm, I'm a lot like Kathy. I don't like to go up and talk to strangers and just start striking up conversations. So um, it was a total God thing what happened because we would just go up to random people and start talking. And some of them listened and some of them just kept walking. But 
Um, part of what I learned is, for me, if, if we don't go and tell them, who will? So we have to go. So if you're wondering if God's leading you to go on one of these trips or anything like this, um, it says plainly in his word to go. Um, there are times that I felt very sorry for Jimmy because he had three very timid people with him. And I'm sure there were times that he thought, God, really? This is who you sent with us? But actually, God was very faithful, very faithful. And as we prayed and as we began to talk and begin to share, um, there were times that we had very good conversations, some that lasted, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And it's very evident that God is at work in New York. And there's such a great need there, just a huge need. And one of the verses that stuck out for me during our training was 2 Timothy 2.2. And it says, And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So in this one verse, there are at least four people addressed. And it is the one who told someone, who told someone else, who told someone else. And just like someone shared with someone, who shared with someone, who shared with me, we need to share with others. They too can share with others. There's no way that we can reach everyone, but we can certainly reach some who will reach others. Thank you for that word, Penny. And God put the right team together. It was amazing. Uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, two Muslim ladies were coming up, and I said, okay, Penny. She was all over. She jumped up and listened, like 25 to 30 minutes. She was sharing the gospel with them. Did they come to faith in Christ? No, they didn't, but they've heard the good news. They've heard the good news. And uh, I guess the struggle, as we were sharing on the subways with non-Muslims, and, uh, and I can just name some groups, uh, Jewish folks, uh, there was a Danish guy, got in a conversation with him. I said, I love your language. It's very diverse, and there's diverse religion here. Do you have religious belief? And, oh, he did. He believes in the God, and, and, uh, and, uh, and religion's in the mind. And I'll, I'll share with you what he said in a second. But not only the Jewish, the Muslims, the Sikhs, the Hindus, they all have a common belief. There is a God, and we've got to do some acts of goodness to earn his favor. And we're not going to be sure whether we've done enough good works until we get there. Would y'all agree of the, all those we shared with, that was their comment. And guys, that is, we left, uh, we met a sinless person. <laughs> Penny and I got to share, a per, uh, share the gospel with someone, and the first thing you introduced, the idea of sin, and guess what he said? But I don't sin. So I went down to Ten Commandments about lying and, you know, honoring Father, or, you know, having no other gods before God and honoring the Sabbath. That's right. I've never sinned. So it's tough to go from there. And what I had done is like, well, for me, I know that I'm a sinner. Here's how I come to know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I shared the gospel, but we left there. And, you know, Penny was very perceptive. And she said, you know, Brother Mike preached that. He, remember he said that he who says he has no sin deceives himself. Not lying. He deceives himself. And the truth is not in him. So there is a spiritual darkness that's going to have to be lifted. And it's going to take the people of God getting serious about prayer and going. I'll share with you one, one I guess if you want to say success story, it was a providential meeting at a, a food cart there in New York. A Muslim that was there for his first day serving food got into a conversation very much interested. You could hear him. He started doing some of the Muslim line, and I was kind of sharing with him about, you know, we can know that we know. Well, we got to meet with him Thursday night from about 1030 to about 130 or 2 in the morning. Uh, Brother Brad was there also. And uh, he 
understands, probably can tell you what the Christian faith is now, but here's what he can't comprehend. He can't comprehend the grace of God that he is able to completely pardon and forgive us for our sin. Now, we left there on good terms. Matter of fact, I have his email. We'll be dialoguing over the next few months, and he committed that he would read the Arabic Bible, a version of the Scripture in his own language, and that we could continue this dialogue. So I pray, and he's from Algeria, and my heart can't help because of the great God we worship that he could come to know Christ. And church, that he could go back to his family and carry the gospel there. And my celebration be that church to go with him and support him in carrying the gospel to Algeria. I don't know. You know, I know with God all things are possible. And let me leave this last thought with you. I tell you, there's no doubt we must have walked, I don't know, I'll exaggerate a little bit, 2,000 miles? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was much. And I tell you, our feet hurt. There are blisters on the bottom of our feet. And if you looked at them now, you'd say, man, those are some nasty-looking feet. You probably would, and you'd be right. But, you know, there's one who looks upon them and says they're beautiful feet. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Uh, actually, Paul's referring back to a, a passage in Isaiah. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So though my feet hurt, and though it was a struggle, it was probably one of the hardest mission trips spiritually I've been on, God looks upon it and says, it's a beautiful thing. The fame of the name of my son, Jesus Christ, is proclaimed among those who are captive in darkness. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your financial support. And let's continue to pray for those Muslims in New York. Amen. Amen. Y'all, thank you so much. And I just want to remind you that uh, your giving uh, during our uh, May emphasis on Simply Live, uh, it made possible for them, as uh, Kathy pointed out, for them to be able to go and to be able to afford to be able to go on that trip. So I want to thank each and every one of you who are willing to give to that so that they can go and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Well, what we're doing now is we're doing something that I said that I would never do, and that is sit on a stool and talk to the people uh, on a Sunday morning. So I'm about to do something I promised I never would. Now I'm lying and repenting, but uh, um, so repenting of it. But what I wanted you to do is I wanted you to get to know this guy a little bit better, Jonathan. And uh, I want to kind of just kind of uh, follow along or kind of let you know kind of how we came about um, with trying to call and believing that this is the guy that God wants for our church and has led us in this particular direction. Um, we have, this is how we do things. Maybe you've been to the kind of church that did this. Uh, I think this is an absolute disaster, so I can go on record for this. Uh, the church congregation gets together and they say, hey, listen, let's set out a survey to the people and find out what it is that they want. And so people sit there and say, well, we want a guy who's uh, 45 years old with 35 years of experience with a PhD and all that. And, so, and you're like, nobody exists like this. But that's usually what happens when you come up uh, and begin to ask people what they want. Uh, they want a guy that's 6'2". Uh, they want a guy with a lot of hair. Uh, pretty much a me is what they kind of are looking for um, in, in that kind of course of things. And uh, so what happens is what you find is um, God has already laid out what you were supposed to be looking for when you're looking for an elder or an overseer of a church. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. All you have to do is follow the word of God. And then the word of God teaches us in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it gives us the qualification and lays out not only what this man is to look like, but it also lays out what he is to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, uh, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, 
in all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, and so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And Titus says in chapter 1, verse 9, adding to that description there, he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so what we've done is, as a church and as the elders that you have already appointed, that you have already voted on, already set aside, and and, and acknowledge that we meet this particular criteria here as the Word of God says, we have come together and we begin to search and to begin to pray and to begin to find a man that would fall into this particular category. And every guy that didn't, they were just kind of cut away. And so when everybody was cut away at that particular point, God really led us to this man who we believe fulfills each and every one of those qualifications. And we take those things very seriously here. Now, some people would say, well, Brother Mike, what's the point of voting? It's just a rubber stamp anyway. I'm like, yeah, that's right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just like, what, I, what I say is this, is that, that this is very important what you're doing. Uh, it is coming and setting apart because what we're doing is every time we call a minister of the gospel here at the church, uh, we find ourselves as a body sitting there saying, listen, we're going to submit to your authority and your leadership, and we're going to listen, and we're going to follow what you have to say. So there has to be some conviction there, and it's hard for you because you haven't been able to walk through every step of the way with us. You haven't been able to know him like I've known him for the last 12 years. You haven't been able to have all the discussions, the theological discussions, the debates, the arguments, all those types of things uh, through this whole process. So there is a trust factor. There is a trust factor, but there's a trust factor in the elders that you have already entrusted yourself with. But what we want to do now is we want to, I wanted to be able to have him be able to speak to you a little bit and share from his heart just the things that God has been laying uh, on his heart and be able to answer uh, a few questions. Um, um, Jonathan, I've known him and his wife actually for quite some time. Uh, I was a youth pastor at North Jacksonville Baptist Church for about four years, and uh, he, he was there, uh, which was good because his dad's the pastor, so I guess it was good that you were there. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Sarah was there as well. And uh, what we had the opportunity to do is, is leading him. And so, I'm sorry, Sarah, that's your sister. Rebecca, <laughs> Rebecca, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, sister. What's that? You were both there at the same time, both of them. All right. Sorry, Rebecca. Thank you very much. That's why we don't shout out in church. That's right. I'm just kidding. So, um, so what I want to do is I just want to ask him just a few questions and, and so you can hear him just kind of answer these. Uh, again, I had the privilege, of, Jonathan, I had the privilege really of just uh, kind of being your youth pastor for several years. And um, we had a youth camp, which I think youth camp is very, very important. Right, Dan? Unbelievably important to go on youth camp. We good? All right. To go to youth camp. And uh, as we were at this youth camp, I remember um, several people in just kind of one day, uh, you know, I don't know what was going on uh, exactly, but I remember one day specifically you taking me aside and saying, Mike, you know, I, I just need to get saved. I'm not right with Jesus. And I remember you sitting there. We prayed together and you prayed to, uh, to, to receive Christ and to follow him. But as I've known you over the years, I think the interesting thing is, is that you have told me, you said, well, Brother Mike, I, I look back at that time when I was, you know, in ninth grade, and the truth of the matter is I was never saved uh, at that time. And you said that really occurred, God saved you at another date. 
And so what I'd really like you to share is because we've been going through the study of 1 John, right? And, uh, and basically, we've got people that, that, I mean, they're so saved, it's unbelievable. And, and they're sitting there going, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm like, brother, if you're not saved, then I'm not saved, okay? However, it's been really stirring us up because there are some folks that sit there and can really, I believe, give a testimony much like yours. So if you could, can you kind of share with us why you believe that you weren't saved on that date uh, when your youth pastor was praying with you um, instead later on? And then, and then what, what makes you kind of believe that, that later on uh, you were converted? And what gives you that confidence? Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember that night at youth camp, ninth grade. Um, God had already been do- in youth camp is an incredible experience. I've been in student ministry for... Uh, six and a half years. We go to camp every summer. God does amazing things. And, uh, and, and at that camp, God did amazing things. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I know that people were, were, were genuinely impacted by God there. And uh, I just remember, you know, when that happens, it's kind of an emotional thing, big emotional wave um, kind of happens. And I think I just kind of got, you know, I was younger, I just kind of got swept up in, in that and I, I remember feeling guilty about um, sins in my life, but I, looking back, I think I was feeling guilty about those things because kind of prior to camp, I had been caught, you know, by my parents, you know, doing some stupid things, and kind of felt guilty and, and thought that was something I needed to do. And uh, as the years went on, I, I looked back to kind of held on to that, that night and that experience as my kind of my salvation um, moment, uh, my conversion, conversion story. And... Uh, but... The truth was uh, nothing really changed in my life. Uh, I, I, heard a, I heard a preacher uh, tell this story once. He said, if someone was to come, like say this morning, if someone was to come into this room right now and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry I'm late. I was walking down the road, um, you know, just right out here on, on the road, and, and I got hit by a dump truck. Sorry I'm late. But the man's standing there, and he has clean clothes on, not a scratch on his body. Would any of us believe a story? No. There's, it's impossible to come in contact with a moving dump truck and be unfazed and unchanged, right? Um, in the same way, um, you know, it's impossible to come in contact with the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel in Jesus Christ, and not be changed. Yeah. And, and yet, but, but the truth was I was a lot like that guy. I was saying that I had made this decision, but there was no evidence in my life. And, and over the years, uh, into my senior year, at the end of my senior year, um, God kind of this, this situation entered my life that just kind of ripped the rug out from underneath me, kind of stopped me in my tracks. And um, it was during kind of that season of my life where all of a sudden I be, my ear kind of began to bend a different way towards teaching and preaching. I was in church every Sunday and Wednesday, and the truth of God's word began to penetrate my heart. And I began to hear this teaching in a different way about repentance. And uh, verses like Mark 1.15, where Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Uh, verses like John 14.15, where he says, if you love me, if you're my child, you're going to keep my commandments. Um, in, in, in other verses um, as well, in, in fact, a, a passage of scripture that I remember that jumped out to me in a real way was Luke uh, chapter 13, those first eight or nine verses. That's where Jesus says, repent or perish. And then he, and he's, and he's actually talking to Israel, but there's uh, some principles there that apply to our individual lives about repentance. And then he goes on and talks about the fig tree. Um, and so this issue of repentance, it became heavy on my heart. I began to realize that on one side of my mouth, I was saying that I'd collided with the gospel, but there was no evidence. And it, was, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. 
And I remember as an 18-year-old, um, God, uh, his spirit coming into my heart and revealing all of this to me and, um, and, and asking Jesus to save me and not only come and save me, but be my Lord, my Lord and Savior and be the boss of my life and take my life. And, and, I, and I repented. Now, the last 10 years, that was 10 years ago, um, haven't been perfect. But I know that as an 18-year-old, that was my day of salvation because looking over the kind of the timeline of my life from 2001 up to this point, um, God has changed me. Hmm. And I'm, I'm more sensitive to sin today. Not perfect, but God, things are in motion. And, and I know that I have a genuine desire and a hunger for God and for righteousness. I think it's so important. You know, we've, we've talk, I've talked with many of you and even responded to emails this last week that I think that one of the things that we find ourselves in in the South and where, you know, religion, uh, you know, is, is king is to find that many people begin to teach and I'm hearing it taught from the pulpit and I'm hearing people talk about it within themselves. And we all know people and maybe you're even sitting here today that says, well, listen, I know I'm saved because I was five when I was five, but there was never really any pursuit of righteousness, Never pursue after the things of God. Never a growth uh, in, in becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we believe, and I know that you believe this as well, is that the reason that we believe that you will change when you are saved is because salvation is of God and God alone. And when God comes and saves a person, he transforms them. He radically transforms, you know, according to the word of God. He changes, he gives them a new spirit. He gives them a new heart. He gives them a new nature. All those things come so that now they want to follow God. Now, as you said, there's struggles, right? And there's times, isn't there, church, when you sit there and you're like, brother, I've got this sin and I can't get over this thing. And what I say to you is, hey, listen, as long as you are fighting and calling upon God, repenting of that, seeking God, seeking to get the victory over that thing, man, that's a great sign. That's a great sign. Um, somebody who is not concerned about their sinfulness is a person who loves their sin as a person who demonstrates that they've never come uh, to God. So. Yeah, I remember a, a, even recently hearing this statement that it's not about being sinless. Mm -hmm. It's about having a heightened sensitivity to sin. Mm -hmm. and if, and if there's not a heightened sensitivity to sin, a growing heightened sensitivity, yeah. then there's, you know, that's something I should be concerned about. And I would, and I would include a, a desire for holiness. That's it, yeah. You want nothing more than to be like, like you. Yeah, anybody ever fall in that category? Jesus, I want to be like you, but man, I'm so far away. And so that's why we're all here, right, is to be transformed in his image and likeness. Uh, let me ask you another thing. You know, one of the major things that you'll be doing here is uh, leading us in worship from week to week. Now, what's great is, is that, you know, it's the easiest job in the world because nobody has a different opinion on how worship should be done. So everybody, you know, is right on board with that. There's never any church splits over it. There's never, ever argumentation. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, obviously I'm being sarcastic here. I think it's one of the most difficult jobs in the world uh, or ministries in the world because everybody just has a different idea. People were brought up in different ways with different types of music and different styles, and there are just different things that grip them and they identify with. And I think we have a real hard time from identifying what is God and what is me. You see what I'm saying? And what seems culturally Christianity and what the Bible really uh, provides as, hey, no, this is really what I'm trying to get after. And so my question for you, I guess, is this is, is what do you believe that the Bible teaches specifically about, th theologically, bibli biblically about worship? And how does that uh, really play into the methodology uh, of how you lead worship? Yeah. And... And that, that discussion is, is real, and probably most people in the room have been probably in a discussion or heard a discussion about should we sing more hymns or uh, more modern worship songs, um, 
You know, we all have our preferences. I, I'm kind of, I have kind of, a, kind of a collage of preferences myself. I mean, I like uh, old hymns. I like the, the rich theology there. I like uh, newer praise and worship music. I like, you know, different styles from folk to rock to bluegrass to um, to kind of old style country. You, you know, I, I like it all. But what is right? What what should we be playing in church? What in I think the discussion is good and it's healthy, and I think we're kind of wired as children of God to 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 want to praise God through our voices and, and, and out of our hearts. Um, and so that's a, that's a good discussion. But I think what we need to do continuously is to kind of that's all methodology, okay? That's the methods, that's the structure of the services and the song selection. I think we have to set that aside and start with Scripture, okay? Start with our thinking. We have to go to God's Word and see what He says about worship. See what He says about how we structure our worship services and draw from that and kind of then uh, our methodology will be right and pure if our theology is right and pure. It has to flow out in that order. And so when we go to his word, I think some of the clearest instruction we find is is John 4 comes to mind when Jesus is there with the woman at the well and uh, near the end of that discussion, really the last one of the last statements he makes is he explains that God is seeking certain kind of worshipers. He's seeking worshipers that are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. So there's the two things that we uh, need to be about and need to be after, two prerequisites for worship, worshiping God the right way. And the first one is spirit. And as children of God, if, if we have trusted in Christ and he is our Lord and Savior and we've been changed and we're converted and regenerated, then we're filled with the spirit forever, for, for eternity. And so, uh, you know, there's that first part, being filled with the Spirit. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. Just because um, we are in the kingdom of God and we're, we're filled with the Spirit, He's imparted that to us, you know, we still have to consciously, that second part truth, we have to consciously be de- kind of determined to focus our mind on the Word of God and, uh, and, and, and let that drive our worship and the structure of our worship. Uh, let me give you an example. If we go to God's Word and we're reading it and we're studying it, we'll discover, you know, as we read verses like Exodus 20, verse 5, where it says God is a jealous God. Then in Revelation 4.11, where it says he alone is, is worthy of, our, of, of all glory, of all power, of all honor. Um, and then Isaiah 48.11, where um, it, God says, I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. I alone am worthy of all honor and praise and glory. Um, when... Those are just three verses of many verses that point to the truth that it's all about God. That everything we do should be about, and that's at the heart of worship, about glorifying God, about making much of Him. All right, so as we immerse ourselves in truth and in that truth specifically, then we turn around and we think about well, song selections and style. All of these things should be making much of God. It should be drawing attention to Him and not myself. You see, so that's just one little example of how we let his truth dictate um, and, and let that right theology dictate our methodology. That's good. That's, that's good. I, li- I like the part about both spirit and truth. You know, there's a lot of, like, a lot of demeaning. People don't want to hear about theology. They don't want to. And basically what they're saying is we don't want to know what we believe about God. Well, then what's the point of being saved? What's the point of being a believer in Jesus Christ? And so what we want to do here at Celebration is we want to raise that bar of teaching and theology because God doesn't want us to worship him for who he is not. He wants us to worship him for who he is. And so he even says in his commandments that to make no graven image. 
So the word of God teaches us that what that means is not that you're going to fashion this little idol in your workshop and then sit down and praise that. What it means is having a picture, a mental picture in your mind of what God is like that does not line up to the truth of the scriptures of the word of God. You hear people all the time sit there and say, well, I don't believe God would do that when, it comes, when that truth comes straight from God. What are they doing? They are making a graven image. And so God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and I think that the big danger there is um, when, we, when we try to uh, worship God with our voices in our hearts apart from the word of God, uh, what we will do over time, disconnected from the word, is kind of see Jesus the way we want to see him. Mm-hmm. See God the way we want to see him. Mm-hmm. We have to view him through the lens of scripture. Yeah. When we step away from that and we view him the way we want to view, view him, that what happens is as we walk into a service like this and our intentions may be right, our motivations might be right, I don't know, but we are actually in reality, apart from God's word, worshiping ourselves. Mm-hmm. You see, when we worship our uh, image of God, apart from his word, we worship ourselves. So, Good. Listen, yeah. one last question, and, uh, and I think this is probably your most important role here, mm-hmm. and that is, um, is really taking over our, um, and leading in the area of discipleship, our discipleship pastor. Now, Jimmy Black has done an outstanding, where is Jimmy? Is he still here? Jimmy has left the building. No, there he is, right there. Jimmy has done an outstanding job uh, since he has been here uh, just over a year of really trying to get our small groups going up, uh, beginning with our, our new members class, our new believers class. Um, we're, we're beginning something coming in September where I'm going to be teaching on Sunday night systematic theology, and we're going to be getting those things up and running uh, and everything. And so I believe that's one of the biggest you know, responsibilities that you have, uh, you know, because the Bible says to make disciples. So what do you believe, uh, you, uh, what do you believe the Bible kind of dictates with that? What does it mean to be a disciple, and how does the Bible kind of describe that? It's absolutely of most importance. I mean, it's not an option. Uh, but some of the last words out of the mouth of Christ before he left this earth uh, was go and make disciples. And so we have to, you know, dig into that and figure out what is discipleship. And I think just kind of generally define discipleship as the process of becoming more like Christ. Mm. Um, which is really our purpose. Uh, if we talk about a purpose-driven life, you know, the, 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 you know, the purpose-driven life is being more conformed to the image of Jesus. Yeah. All right? And that's Romans 8.29. We're really familiar with Romans 8.28, um, you know, which is that beautiful verse about God working all things out for those whom he loves. And the, but the very next verse uh, not as many people are familiar with 829 it says you're predestined for the purpose of being more conformed to the image of Christ it's mm-hmm. why that's, that's why we exist if we get that right everything else falls into place right. so discipleship is of um, utmost importance um, I think the kind of the tools for discipleship are the way that, that the primary way we're discipled is through the, the, the word um, is uh, Jesus said John 17 17 be sanctified in truth your word is truth so it's the word um, that um, helps us restrain our flesh and kind of chips away at our character and makes us look more and more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to mention that I believe that um, the correct model to discipleship in is a small group model. Mm-hmm. I believe we see that with Christ and the disciples. And I've actually been leading our small group ministry with our students for the last um, uh, five years um, as a student pastor. And so I'm very passionate about that and very passionate about that model. So... Awesome, brother. Well, that's good. Uh, we're, we're um, you know, I, I could just say this. If you come, we're going to love having you. And if you don't come and they vote no, then it was nice for you to come and speak to us this morning. All right? Thank you. It's, 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 it's been a blessing. It's so, been fun. Uh, so anyway, but I want to... <laughs>
Well, I don't even know what to say there. It's just kind of strange. But um, anyway, this is something that each and every one of us as, as church members, if you're a church member here, and you, you, you may not be a church member, and that's okay. We love you. Uh, we love you very, very much. But we're going to have our church members in just a minute uh, vote um, uh, on Jonathan and whether calling him. And, and all of us are accountable for this, to stand before the Lord. And uh, again, uh, we back uh, this uh, selection with Jonathan uh, and with his wife, Rebecca not Sarah, uh, who, who, who was coming. And we want to say this to both of you, and I believe that our church family would say the same thing. Uh, Rebecca, we're not hiring you uh, in the sense of we know that we're hiring your husband. And what we mean by that is this, is I have a true conviction in my heart that your, your call of God, first and foremost, is to your husband and to your home and with your children. And, uh, and whatever else you do, whether that's working out of the home, working in the home, or whatever God leads you to in the ministry of here, that is dictated by between you, God, your husband, you guys working that out, okay? Uh, our congregation does not place some kind of demand and high expectations on you and saying she should do all these things. We know that you're supporting and being a part of the ministry with your husband, and we, lo we love you and appreciate it. So we want to, in the same way, if, if our church calls you to this position, uh, we, we commit ourselves to take care of you. We commit ourselves to, to, to give faithfully, to support you guys, but also more than that, to let you know the difference that God is using you in our lives to transform us. So we, we thank you so much. Rebecca, do you mind coming up? And what we're going to do at this time is we're going to uh, take up the offering uh, if we can. You didn't think you'd get away. I mean, you can't have that big of a difference in a, in a sermon, right? We have to have the offering. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, our ushers are going to come forward at this time. And uh, if you would, gentlemen, and uh, here we go. Oh, I like that. It's kind of delayed. I like that. That was very succinct. I can't even say the word. I'll pray. Uh, we're going to go ahead and pray. And if you are a guest with us for the first time, uh, please fill out that card. Place it in the offering plate as it goes around. They're going to lead us uh, in one last song. We'll usher them in. Then we'll very quickly go ahead and make the vote. And then we've got a couple more announcements for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you for this morning. God, I thank you so much for the power of God being in this place. God, it's a different type of morning one that we're not used to. And God, we'll go back to the opening of the word. But I thank you that the word and the gospel were shared today. God, I pray that if there are anyone in here that does not know you, God, that they will grab a hold of me or one of the other elders or pastors and say, dear Jesus, save me. I need to be saved. God, we love you. Right now, use this money, God, uh, to further your kingdom and advance your cause. We love you in your, in your name we pray. Amen. I just want to say, I was just sharing with you my kind of... Um, my salvation story, and uh, this is a song that I wrote about four years ago as I was reflecting on that time in my life. Mm -hmm. 